read down through all these verses. Uh, for those of you who are uh, thinking about having children or expecting a child and you're having difficulty finding a name, uh, we have a lot of names here today that you can listen to and you might get some ideas. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancree, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles. Contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me, and the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him, who is able you to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, there is a lot in this passage of Scripture. Some of it is just by small comments that Paul makes along the way, but there's probably a lot more in here than meets the eye when you just first skim through it, when you think, well, it's a bunch of names, people I don't know anything about, and Paul is commending them. One of the things to note, and I'm going to spend a long time on this, but Paul has a lot of friends. And the interesting thing about this letter is Paul had actually never been in Rome. So when you read through this, these are people there. How does he know them? How does he know anything about them? 
He's never been there, but he's got associates who keep communicating with him, and people traveled more than we think in that day. So he's probably met some of these people, others he knows about, and so he has words of commendation to them. Now, some people seize on some of the verses in this passage to create positions related to roles of people in a church. And I can't spend a long time on that. I'll touch on two of them um, very quickly here, and then we'll move on. So first verse, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancreed. The word, the Greek word there for servant of the church is diakonos, which could mean literally deaconess. Now there's debate, was she a deaconess in the church? Some believe, yes, she was. That's the best interpretation of this. And some people get really uncomfortable when you talk about the fact that there may have been a deaconess in the early church. Now, if you go to, I think it is Acts 21, it talks about Philip having two, four daughters, I think it was, who prophesied. Now, we're probably mostly on the same page on the role of women in church, but we probably aren't exactly all on the same page. And that can be a controversial subject in our day. For some of you, it's really black and white. You go to the scripture, I think it is in Timothy, where Paul says, I want women to keep silent in the church, and you're like, that's what the Bible says, case closed. Let me advocate for you, it's not that simple. What do you do with Phoebe? Well, you would say, well, I think she's not a deaconess, she's something else. Okay, I'll give you that. What about Philip's four daughters prophesying? Prophesying is never in private. It's speaking forth words that God has given you to declare God's truth. How about our scripture that we use in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Christian women's veiling? We believe that. In that passage, he talks about women praying and prophesying. The context is publicly. So they're prophesying in public somewhere. If that makes you uncomfortable, it's in the Bible. So wrestle with it. But it's not as simple as just saying, uh, I think... In fact, I don't agree with the view that women, that Paul is actually saying for all places, women are to be silent in the church. I think he's addressing a problem they had there of men, husband and wives disagreeing in the church setting with each other. Think about how uncomfortable that makes you. Um, sorry to pick on you, but what if Joe and Heather start arguing here in church about something they should have talked about at home? Most of us are like, really, please, can we do that somewhere else? And I think Paul's addressing that issue where sometimes women were talking up in church and maybe disagreeing with their husband, and he says, I want the women to be silent in the church. Go home and learn from your, or go home and talk to your husband. And I think that's the context there. So we're going to have to move along quickly here, but just understand now, I don't think you have an instance in scripture where you had a woman being a pastor of a church, but they certainly had prominent roles, and there are prominent women listed throughout this. Now, one other one quickly before we move on, and we'll have to move quickly here. This is the one people latch on to. Verse 7, greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Believe it or not, people seize on that one. Who is Junia? 
Well, it's probably a woman. Andronicus, we're sure, is a man. The Greek word for junia is one that could very likely be a woman. And I think in the context, the way it's worded here, it's probably a woman. Now, the ESV takes liberty to say they were well-known among the apostles. The Greek is not quite as clear. The Greek could mean that they were apostles. And people latch onto that and say, see, there was a woman that was an apostle in the early church. Women can be leaders in church. It's too unclear to say that. And if Paul is calling them apostles, he's using a broader term of apostle, which simply would mean a missionary in this setting. So I think it's a little difficult to say we're going to establish a doctrine out of verse 7 here, but people do. They latch onto that and seize on that. But nevertheless, women did have prominent roles in the early church, and the early church elevated women from what they were in the culture of that day. Women didn't have much say-so. They weren't credible witnesses in court. Scripture, when Paul writes, there is neither male nor female in Christ, is elevating women. And so I think we need to not react to our culture. We also not need to not just give in to some of the people who try to put away with all kinds of roles that I think Scripture is clear on. But understand that women have a prominent pl- had a prominent place in the early church and have a prominent place in our churches today, and we need to recognize that and be okay with it. Moving on, um, there's a lot we could cover. The names of people here are really interesting. In verse 11, Herodian, he's probably a slave in the household of one of Herod's family. That's how he got the name. They're pretty sure he's a Jew, so he's probably that. The other one is in verse 11, Narcissus. There was a prominent man by the name of Narcissus who was a, uh, in the household of Claudius, the Roman emperor Claudius. He was a freedman, a former slave. He was a prominent advisor to Claudius. Prior to Paul writing this letter, he committed suicide. They think that's this man. Paul is talking about the family of Narcissus. They're obviously believers in his family. So that's kind of an interesting tidbit in this text of Scripture. Now, let's go to verse 16. Some of you get really squeamish when that subject comes up. The holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And I've been in Sunday school here already, so I know there's a certain uncomfort, uh, a level of discomfort. I'm not going to ask you guys to raise your hand, but how many of you get maybe just slight bit squeamish or you're just like, well, that's sure not for us? And what do you do with that passage of Scripture? It's listed, I think, five times in the epistles. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I don't know how many of you grew up, but there's a number of you, quite a number of you that grew up in the Amish church, and I think I have it right, the Amish preachers practice that to each other. Am I right on that? Okay. That was my understanding, and the lay people don't really do it, right? Okay, so the preachers do it to each other. The way I grew up, we practiced it faithfully on Sunday morning, and you would have been a very worldly, backslidden person if you did not. By the way, I'm not going to name the person, but we have a lady here who one time gave a Sunday night topic in her home church on the Holy Kiss. We should maybe have had her give a presentation this morning on this one. (laughs) Nevertheless, so talking about this, so where do we um, come out on this? 
But let's be honest, we don't practice it here. Or at least I don't see it. Now, when I first came here, I think we did it at communion, but we don't practice it here today. So are we correct? Are we wrong? Is this cultural or is it something that is a command for all people in all places? And I think we have to address it because we get there and we're like, eh, I don't know about that. So what do we believe about this? And if we do say it's cultural, how do we determine that this is cultural and so many other things in the Bible are not? For instance, women's roles. How do we determine that's not just cultural? How do we determine the Christian veiling is not just cultural? How do we determine that even issues of sexuality and sexual conduct are not just cultural things, which many in churches today would tell you are just cultural issues? So how do we view this passage of Scripture? Now, in the church I grew up, we did not do it, or seldom, if ever, did we do it on... Sunday nights and not on Wednesday nights at all. So we did it a third of the time. It was mostly a formality. I mean, some people would have done it as a, I think a lot of people felt like it was an expression of love, but I think for a lot of people it was kind of a formality. You needed to do it. Um, and so what do we believe about this? Well, one of the things when you look at this is there is cultural context to this. In Eastern cultures today, uh, present day, uh, some of the Eastern countries, some of your Muslim countries, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, when men meet each other, they give each other a kiss. And when people talk to you about, I mean, I've never been to Saudi Arabia, but when they talk about Westerners, and there's a significant amount of Westerners in Saudi Arabia, they tell you if you're a Westerner in Saudi Arabia and you don't want to stand out as a foreign tourist when you are walking the street, if you're walking with your friend, hold hands. If he's another guy, hold hands with him. Some of you don't look impressed. There was literally a picture in one of our news magazines in America when George W. Bush was president of the United States of one of these Saudi princes over at his ranch in Saudi Arabia, and there was a picture of Bush and him walking around the ranch holding hands. That's how you showed him. I'm your friend. Now, you get squeamish about that. Now, we say, okay, culture, yes, there's culture where that's practiced. And you might say, oh, not in America. Well, hold on just a moment. There are some places where in some form it's practiced. We were visiting a church a number of years ago, and an African-American lady um, wanted to greet me. And so I stuck out my hand. She was really friendly, and it was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and she pulled me in, and she gave me a big kiss on the cheek. Now I checked that one off my bucket list. <laughs> But to her, in that setting, and I didn't feel it was inappropriate. I didn't feel offended by it. Maybe you would have. I didn't really. To her, it was a way of expressing affection in a good way, not a bad way. But most of the time, if I was visiting a church and a lady tried to do that to me, I would be offended. And here's the issue. How we greet other people has cultural context to it. If you're going to be a missionary in a foreign country, one of the questions you're going to ask people is, how do I greet other people? 
Because the last thing on earth you want to do is offend another person. It's about the other person, not just about you. So in this, he's calling on these people to express affection to each other. But you're not going to walk up to someone who gets, who's offended by giving them a kiss and just walk up and give them a kiss. And I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I really don't. I don't believe at all that you're supposed to go up to people and offend them because you'd like to do this and they don't necessarily feel loved by it. In America, we understand much better if a guy comes up and gives us a hug. Some of you are non-huggers. Others of you might understand it. But the appropriate thing, especially when you want to express affection to a guy in America, is give him a hug. And he feels that. Now, let me give you one illustration about this because I'm going to have to move through this rapidly. But in my circle of acquaintances, there's one person who probably is more staunch on this than others, believes very strongly you need to practice this, but he would only do it to approve people, and I'm not one of those. But we were going through a difficult time in our life, and it was a time when people expressed sympathy and affection, and you could feel it in the way they greeted you. That person, when he greeted me, had about the most distant, just kind of unemotional, cold handshake I had experienced from anybody in my circle of acquaintances. And afterward, I was thinking, you know what, he really doesn't get it. He's adamant about the holy kiss, but he doesn't get that it's actually to be, you express affection and care for other people in the way that you greet them. There's people who are staunch advocates of the holy kiss who will tell you, be careful where you do it, that it's inappropriate in certain settings. Well, that's a cultural understanding. And so as I look at this, if I'm going to express affection to another person, I need to do it in a way that he understands and appreciates what I'm trying to express, not just, well, this is the way I want to do it. This is not a bad practice, by the way. You may think so. <clears throat> and this may be a deal breaker for some of you. And I don't mean it that way, but if you're going to be a missionary in a culture where this is what they do, you may need to do it. Because if that's the way they do it, then you may need to do that to express affection in a way their culture does and not just stand aloof from it. Uh, I've been taught all my life, you do what the people do in the culture you're in as far as eating their food and showing affection to them and understanding of them. So I hope at least that that can guide us because in this one, he doesn't really give us context other than holy kiss, which would be, think about the kiss Judas gave Jesus, which was deception, wasn't holy at all. And it could also be sexual in some ways. He doesn't give us much detail about that. So I don't want to say it's a bad practice at all, but I do think in the way we greet each other as Christians, there is supposed to be an expression of affection for each other, warmth in, in the way we greet each other. But I think we do it in a way that is understood by the other individual in the proper context and not in a way that makes them really uncomfortable with how we're trying to express it. And so I think in e each culture, there are ways of doing that that are appropriate, and I think that's my understanding as I look at this passage of Scripture. Now, let's quickly wrap up. He gives warnings about false teachers that there will be people in churches. They were there in his day, in verse 17, who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. 
He says there's people who serve in verse 18. They don't serve Jesus Christ, but they serve their own appetites, and they use smooth talk and flattery to deceive the hearts of the naive. So Paul's first admonition is avoid those people. I would say this. There are people in our day who are clearly false. There are people who go door to door who are promoting false doctrine. Unless you're well-versed in Scripture and what they believe and how it differs from what we believe, it's probably best not to try to get in an argument with them. It may not be best on any circumstance, but at least if you're going to really get in a debate with them, be sure you're well-grounded because you can easily get deceived. These people are trained. They know how to answer your objections, and they know how to twist things in a way that appeal to people, and so we all have to be careful about that. Truth is a sacred trust to us. God's word is a sacred revelation to us, and so it has to be guarded. And throughout all time, there have been people in churches who tried to divide people, who turned people against each other rather than toward each other. And God's purpose in us as a church here is to draw us closer together, to unify us as the Holy Spirit moves in us. And Satan's goal is that if I can in some way start turning people against each other, to become critical of each other, negative toward each other, at Christian life I can gain an inroad in that church and I can start just breaking stuff apart. All of us have to guard against that in our lives. All of us have to guard against it in our church. And let's not think that it can't happen here. Remember, it's only as we stay close to Christ that we're able to fight the battle. And it's a battle God wants us to fight. I'm going to conclude with that. The last part, he talks about Satan soon in verse 20 being crushed. And then in the last part, it talks about the triumph of Jesus Christ ultimately. And that is the triumph that we both live in and live in expectation of that one day, in spite of all the negative things people have said about Christianity, in spite of all the things people have said against God, ultimately God is triumphant and will receive glory from all mankind, which is an incredible thought to think that all mankind, whether voluntary or involuntary, will one day give glory and honor to God. Thank you for your attentiveness, and Joe, I'll turn the time over to you.